If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to go to Mark's Gospel, in the 10th chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, this is page 847. We're slowly working our way through Mark, and we're actually finishing a, um, a very important section in the book. I'm going to talk about that here um, just a minute here. Let's read the text. This is Mark 10. I'm going to read verses 46 through 52. So Mark 10, 46 through 52. It says, and they, this is talking about Jesus and his disciples, and other people were with him. It says, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he says, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. This is a text of scripture that's like a closing end of, like a bookend, if you will, of a section that started back in chapter 8. And uh, often New Testament writers, uh, they will write in such a way where they will, particularly in the Gospels, they will write with similar events on one end of another, so that there's sections that's kind of divided that way. And this is, this is leading to the climactic part of the Gospel. Because in chapter 11, we're going to see the triumphal entry when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And of course, this is the final trip to Jerusalem for Jesus. This is the final time where he goes to Jerusalem because he is going to die, and he's talked about that. This section began, as I said, in chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, just go back to chapter 8 just for a second here. And we see in verse 22 of chapter 8, we see that Jesus is beginning, Jesus, he heals another blind man, but this person is at Bethsaida. And if you remember back when we went through this uh, a few months ago at this point probably, uh, that this is the healing where Jesus, it, he did it twice. Remember, it was the twice-touched blind man. It was the one where Jesus touched him first and says, what do you see? And he says, well, I got some vision. I see men, but they're kind of like trees just walking around. There's no definition there. And so then Jesus touches them again, and he's healed. And remember, we asked the question back then, why would it take 
Jesus two touches to heal this man? Was it that it didn't work the first time and he needed a second go at it? Or what was the reason for that? And if you remember, what we talked about then was that Jesus was using this healing, this miracle of restoring sight. He was using that to teach the disciples that their spiritual insight, their spiritual sight of understanding who Jesus is and who Jesus is as the Messiah was a process that they were in. And so he begins this section by talking about the, that their spiritual sight is slowly being restored. And it really is a slow process because right after this in chapter 8, you'll remember that Peter then confesses Jesus as the Messiah, which is really good, and that's a good thing. And so it seems like, hey, this is great. They're getting it. They're understanding it. This is wonderful. But then right away, right away, Jesus tells them that he's going to die, and Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him and says, you're not going to do this. And so clearly he doesn't get it. He kind of gets it, but not quite. And that's the whole idea was to twice touch blind man and getting his, his sight restored. Continuing on in chapter 9, then there's the transfiguration. This is when Peter, James, and John, they're up on the mountain with, with Jesus and they see him transformed. They see him transfigured to see his glory and, and just, a, just a taste of that. And then there's Moses and there's Elijah there with him. It's just a wonderful thing. And I, I love this section here because Peter just can't help himself. Peter, he just doesn't know what to say. In fact, the text tells him that. It says that they did not know what to say in verse 6 of chapter 9, for they were terrified. So what does Peter do? Instead of just being quiet and taking it in, he says, hey, we're going to have a building program. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start building all these buildings here, and we're going to have these, these tabernacles and things. And, and he just wasn't quite getting it there. And so the spiritual insight is a process. He kind of gets it, but not quite. You remember, they come down from the mountain, and then there's this idea they're trying to heal this person. They couldn't, the other disciples that are down there couldn't heal them, and Jesus says, this comes by prayer and fasting. You kind of just thought that you would just automatically had this, but you've got to abide in me. And, and the only way that you're going to have power in this life, the only way that you're going to fulfill your destiny, fulfill what your role is in life, is if you abide in me. And so there's this slow dawning of the spiritual sight that's coming on. He talks about then there's people that are, are preaching for Jesus there in chapter 9, or they're preaching about Jesus. And the disciples, they say, hey, Jesus, there's these other people up there, and they're preaching. But don't worry, we told them to stop. We told them to stop because they're not one of us. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, don't tell them to stop. He says, you know, if they're not, if they're not against us, they're for us here. This should be a good thing. And so all along, you can just see that how these disciples, they're, they're just not getting it. And it's, and it's sad, and it's humorous, but really sad. And so he talks about the temptations, talks about the divorce there. He's answering those questions. And then, and then children, this is in chapter 10, verse 13, children are being brought to Jesus, and the disciples, they say, don't bring the kids, you're bothering Jesus. Don't do that. And what does Jesus have to do? He has to say, no, let them come. These are the people. These are the type of people that we need, people that just believe in me. And then there's the rich young ruler in chapter 10. 
The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, Jesus is talking about keeping the commandments. He's like, yep, got it. And he says, okay, one thing you lack, he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. They walked away very sorrowful because he had many possessions. And the disciples then, so what Jesus then says, he says, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And the disciples' response to that was, well, who can be saved then? If surely, if a rich person, and they understood that if someone had wealth, that was a sign of God's blessing, and it was a sign of God's favor and God's approval, and if they couldn't get into heaven, who then could get into heaven? Do you see how Jesus is showing them that their spiritual sight is lacking all along the way? And all along the way, he is foretelling his death. He's done it three times. And then last week, we looked at the request of James and John. We saw how James and we saw how John, they, they said, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, in your kingdom, I'll, one of us on your right hand, one of us on your left hand. They want a position, they want a glory. And then Jesus says, look, you've got to understand, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be a servant. A servant of all. And so do you see that when we're talking about blind people here, Bartimaeus was not the only blind person here. God, Jesus is using these miracles to show that spiritual sight must be restored to understand and so to understand the, the Messiah and to understand what he's asking of us. And so that brings us to our context today in our story today that I just read for you about Bartimaeus. Before I continue on, I want to pause and pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Now that we have an understanding of the context, we can launch into a sermon. But let's pray. Father, whenever we talk about your word, we want to be very cautious. Um, we want to know what your word is teaching, not opinions. We don't want... Um, I mean, opinions are fine as long as we don't hold on to them as truth, as, uh, that, will, that will be authoritative. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that when we look at this text today, that you would give us understanding and give us insight of what you would have us to learn from this today. And Father, we're grateful that we know that this has been given to us for uh, a reason to show that spiritual sight is granted by you, and that this is what we all need. And so I pray that the story of Bartimaeus today would encourage us, would instruct us, would inspire us, but not for personal greatness, not for personal glory, but for your glory and for your honor. And so, Father, as I have the, the, this, this incredible privilege to stand before friends and teach your word, Father, I, I pray that I would be sensitive to your Spirit's leading I'd be obedient to what you're asking me to do. I pray that I'd be clear in my communication. I pray I'd be accurate to the text. I pray that I'd be loving and gracious in how I communicate. And I pray that you would receive all glory and all honor. And so, Father, use this text to challenge each of our hearts this day. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let me ask you this question. What could someone give you that would transform your life? What could someone give you that would transform 
your life. Many of us thought money right away. Okay, all right. Um, that's one thing. What health? That would be something. Um, friendship. Some give you friendship that could transform your life. Love. What about forgiveness? That could transform your life. What about maybe just a chance or an opportunity to prove yourself? Maybe you're stuck at a position at work and you want the raise, you want the promotion, but no one's giving the opportunity for it. If someone gave that to you, it could transform your life. So what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about gifts that God has given to us that we see here that will transform our lives. And here it is. This is what I want you to remember. You need the transforming gifts of sight and blindness. Okay? This is what I want to talk about today. And so, you know, it's kind of one of these things I say, you know, write down, I think it's in your notes there, or whatever like that, but this is, this is, you know, I want you to chew on this throughout the week, okay? You need, and I, we all need the transforming gifts of sight and blindness. And this text helps us with that. Let's talk about the gifts of sight, first of all. Bartimaeus here is obviously a blind person. He's a beggar. He's sitting outside of Jericho. He probably wasn't the only beggar. In fact, we are almost certain he wasn't the only beggar sitting there. But he was someone who had the gift of sight even though his eyes were dim. And that was just that he saw Jesus. So the gift of sight is, first of all, seeing Jesus is the first gift that we have. And the reason why we know that is because he calls out, he calls out and he calls Jesus son of David. That's a messianic title. That means that as he understood, it, you know, he's hearing people walk by, he's calling out for people to give coins, to give something to help him out, maybe a piece of bread. He's sitting there, he can't see anything. He's hearing the rustling, he's hearing people walk by, and he's, he's like, what is that? What's going on here? And I don't know if someone tells him or I don't know how he finds out, but somehow it dawns on him or he realizes the person that has just walked in front of him was Jesus Christ, was Jesus of Nazareth. And so he immediately then calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the question that I had when I'm reading this text is how is it that this blind beggar, who we know nothing else about before this, we, we don't know anything about him. How is it that this beggar, this blind beggar, how is it that he knew who Jesus was? How is it that he had an understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one who was the, that the, was the one that everyone was waiting for to restore Israel? He was the one that was going to bring hope to the nation, hope to the world. How is it that this blind person saw that and knew that and knew to call Jesus the son of David? We don't know. We have no idea. And so if you're waiting just now for me to unfold this like, you know, hidden book of the Bible, Second Opinions 3, you know, and I could show you exactly where, no, it's not there. I think that's, that's on purpose because God could have given us that data. He could have very easily given us that data. Mark, he could have recorded. The reason why his name is given here, most people understand is because he probably was known by the church later on, this man because of his conversion. So we could have gotten the back story, but it was not given to us. Why not? 
I believe one of the possible reasons why we don't have the backstory on this, or we don't know why, or excuse me, how Bartimaeus understood Jesus' identity as the Messiah, is because the way God grants faith is mysterious. It's not the same. God uses all sorts of different means, all sorts of different ways to draw us to himself and to draw our hearts to him. And so the point here isn't how Bartimaeus knew. It was the fact that God in his mercy towards him and his love and his grace, he had somehow revealed it to him that Bartimaeus was, excuse me, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he saw Jesus. And so he had this gift of sight that he understood who Jesus was. How God grants faith is a mystery. Romans says he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And so he understood, he saw Jesus for who he was. And part of it was maybe he just wasn't clouded by other things. Maybe it was that he wasn't running through the same obstacles that the disciples were running through. And he could see Jesus in a much better way even though he was blind. In January of 1994, there was an earthquake that hit the uh, San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles, California. It caused a lot of damage, uh, about $20 billion in damages, and I think almost 60 people died in that earthquake. Of course, as with much earthquakes and what happens in earthquakes, the, the city's power was lost because of that. Radio and television stations were knocked off the air. And that night, the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles it, it began to receive these phone calls from people, these odd phone calls. And they were panicked people in the Los Angeles area that they were reporting this strange sky that they were seeing. They, they speculated that perhaps this silver cloud above them somehow caused the earthquake. And the people at the observatory didn't know what to make of this, and so they finally figured out what was going on. You see, the city lights had, were now powerless because of the earthquake. And so for the first time, maybe ever, the people in Los Angeles saw stars. <laughs> they saw the Milky Way. And it was strange to them. They had no idea because it normally there's so much lights and so much noise and everything else. It just clouds all of that. And, and you know, I have a, a similar experience to that. When I was growing up, uh, you know, you know, I grew up in the city. I grew up in the Detroit area, Michigan, and and you know, there's lots of lights and lots of things. And I remember one year going camping. I remember we went camping, and my brother and I we were sleeping in the back of my dad's pickup truck. It had a, a cab on it, and so that's where we would sleep. Mom and dad had a camper, and I remember in the middle of the night, I needed to use the rest. And so I got up, and I remember crawling out of the back of my dad's pickup truck, opening the hatch, and as I started to, sw to swing my leg over the tailgate to get down, I saw the stars, and I was breathtaking. I, I couldn't believe how many stars there were, because we were camping far away from the city. And, and that was one of the first times I had seen that. Yeah, I had heard preachers talk about the Bible saying stars are innumerable. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, give enough time, you can count them. That day, that day, I realized what they were talking about. And it was the same is true here at these people in Los Angeles, is that they simply had not been able to see the beauty that was above them the entire time because of the noise and the artificial lights all around them. 
And so when all these artificial lights and the noise were removed, people could see for the first time that beauty that was always there and was much greater than what they could create. And the disciples, they had the noise of competition and the artificial light of a political Messiah that they were looking for that was keeping them from seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ. And Bartimaeus didn't have that noise. He didn't have that artificial light. And so he could see Jesus in a much better way because of God revealing that to him. So the gift of sight is what we all need, and that is that we need to see Jesus for who he is. But sometimes there's so much artificial light and there's so many other things that cloud our perception of that. We have God in a box. We have Jesus of how he should act and what he should do. And and when he operates outside of that box, it's it's confusing and disorienting and we reject it. That's the problem with the Messiah. I mean, the disciples with their Messiah, their idea of Messiah, they thought Jesus was going to come, set up this this kingdom. He was going to overthrow Rome. He says, you're going to overthrow Rome and restore Israel to his glory. That's what they were looking for. The problem was, when Jesus is talking about dying on a cross, this is why they reacted so strongly, because dead people can overthrow governments. But they didn't realize that Jesus had a much bigger mission than throwing off the shackles of Rome. Jesus' mission was overthrowing the shackles of sin, death, and Satan. But they couldn't see it. But somehow, in God's providence and grace to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus could see that. And so I wonder what noise and artificial light is keeping us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Not only about seeing Jesus, the gift of sight, is also seeing ourselves as God sees us. Did you notice his prayer? He says in verse 47, he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He knows that he needs mercy. He's saying, I I can't fix my problem, but you can. But he's recognizing I have a problem. And there is a problem that Jesus, you have to fix. And it's going to be an act of mercy if you do that. So please be merciful to me. He sees himself the way God sees him. He saw himself in reality. Now compare this request with James and John's request. Now notice it's the same as that question. Back in chapter, in chapter 10, in verse uh, 36, Jesus says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? In uh, the same exact question in verse 51, when Jesus talks to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same exact question. But the responses are completely different. One is about personal uh, position and personal desires being met and, and uh, a glory for themselves. The other one is simply saying, I just want normal health. I, I, I just want you to restore so I can see. But he understood that he needed God's mercy for that. He, he asked in mercy. James and John demanded it. You remember, they said, give us whatever we ask. You see, they thought it was owed to them. James and John. Bartimaeus knew that anything he got from God, from Jesus, would be mercy and would be grace. And so that's what motivated him. So he saw himself. He had insight about his condition before God. That we need mercy. Now this insight of needing God's mercy, that really can be disorienting and disconcerting if we're not careful. When people initially begin to follow Christ, 
they're usually overwhelmed by God's grace and God's love and how they can have forgiveness and how they can be assured of eternal life. And it's a, it's a beautiful time. But then what happens a lot of times is that God begins, He doesn't just, just kind of like give you a ticket to heaven and, and say, okay, I'll see you when you get there. No, no, no. He continues to work on us and He begins to change us. It begins to point and press in areas of our life that need to be changed. And the more He reveals that to us, the more we can get frustrated sometimes. It's not revealed totally to us the depths of our sin the moment we are saved. We don't understand how much mercy of God we need all at once. It would crush us. And so God, in His patience, in His love towards us, He says, for the rest of your life, I'm going to just be cautiously and carefully showing you what you need and showing you how I'm going to be growing you and showing you how you're going to be uh, uh, made better because of your relationship with me. But we can't do it all at once, and so it's going to be over time. But the problem what happens is, is that people sometimes in their Christian walk, maybe they've been saved for 10, 15 years or whatever like that, they get frustrated and say, man, I am still working on stuff. I'm still struggling with sin. And then what happens is Satan's like, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting 15 years for this day. Here's what happens. He starts whispering in our ears. He starts saying, maybe God's not true. Maybe this really isn't worth it. I mean, you're still struggling with these things. You're still sinning. I mean, I thought you said God was supposed to give you victory. I thought you said God was supposed to make you so you didn't struggle with these things anymore. And here's the thing. God never said that. But he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what he said. And he says that he will continue to work on us. And so this idea of seeing ourselves as God sees us, that is an act of mercy, but it's something we need to be very cautious with because if we're not careful, we will get discouraged and we will just walk away. And that is not the right response. And so Bartimaeus here, he had to understand that he needed God's forgiveness. And he understood that he needed God's mercy. And most of the time in our lives, it is much worse than we think. Like Tim Keller, he says, you know, we are much more sinful than we ever dared believe. But yet, at the same time, we're much more loved and forgiven than we ever dared hoped. Some of you know that my wife and I, we, we, just, we just bought a house and we moved in. Some of you helped us with that. Still grateful for that, by the way. And, um, you know, as you know, with houses, there's always projects to do, right, you know? And one of the projects that has been on the list is uh, recaulking the bathtubs. Two bathtubs need to be recaulked. And so as I'm checking through the things to do, one night I was like, it's caulking night, okay? All right? Now, in order to do this correctly, so I'm told, is that you have to remove all the old caulk, right? Okay, I'm looking at the people that know things about buildings here. Okay, Rob's saying yes, you got to do that. Okay, good, we did it right, step one. All right, so we start removing this caulk. And I bought even a little tool for it at Home Depot. Okay, they ripped me off of five bucks out of that deal. And 
And so, you know, you're working on this thing, so then that, that's not working too well, and so I go and I get some razor blades. I got a couple razor blades and utility knives, things. I'm trying to cut this thing out, and I'm just scraping it. In. And it's like the more you pull, the more you realize is there. And, and so you pull a little bit, and more's coming out, and you're like, well, man, maybe I need to, maybe I need to go over here too, and you do this. And so I'm scraping, and, and you know, I got, I got like this, this uh, blister on my knuckle from it, Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping for that. <laughs> to the rest of you who did not show sympathy, may the gnats of a thousand camels invest your armpits. No. So, yeah, I mean, it's just terrible. But, you know, as I'm thinking, I thought, man, this thing is worse than I thought it would be. Yeah, that's like my heart. It's so much worse than I thought it would be. You know, I, I was pretty young when I asked Jesus to save me from my sins. And I knew that I had sin. I didn't know the depths of my sin. Sometimes I'm surprised at what comes out of my heart. And that's when I just got to say, have mercy. You know, I love that song we sang. Our sins, they are many. But His mercy is more. And so when we have the gift of sight, part of that is seeing Jesus, but it's part of seeing who we are and not letting it crush us. Because that's the wrong response. Worship is the right response. Repentance and worship. I'm not saying that we can just continue on sinning, that grace may abound. Paul dealt with that in Romans 6. He says, don't keep sinning. And so we've got we to gotta root this out. We've got to stop it. So I'm not saying that we have license to sin because God is merciful. That is not the gospel. But what is the gospel is that I don't have to fear God's condemnation if I'm trusting in Him. And He can change me. And He can give me the ability to overcome what is pressing my heart and pushing me down. That's the gospel. You don't have to sin, and I don't have to sin. We choose to sin. And God's mercy is that He will consistently be there for us. And Bartimaeus, he knew that he said, have mercy on me. He knew that he had a need that only Jesus could fix. And so that is the same with you and me. We have needs that only Jesus can fix. I need to move on. There's another element of sight here, and that's seeing others. Now, all of the sermon is really about from Bartimaeus' point of view and learning lessons from Bartimaeus. And so this point is actually not from Bartimaeus, it's from the other people. And I, I, for continuity's sake, I thought about leaving this part out, but I, I think it's important. And so if we can just move from looking at the story from Bartimaeus' view just for a second and look at it from the rest of the disciples. Um, it's a little awkward, I know, but, but it's, it's going to be helpful for us. The disciples in the crowds, they were rebuking Bartimaeus, you remember? You remember that when, when he's yelling and he's, he's calling out, verse 48 says they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. You know, that, that, you know that, that's just frustrating to me. I mean, here's a guy that knows that he needs Jesus, and the people that are walking with Jesus, people that could see, and the guy's like calling out to him, and they say, stop, be quiet. 
And they're rebuking him, so it's not even like, a, you know, just like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this, you know. Hey, you know, here's my card. Call me later. I'll try to get you a meeting with them. It was a, stop it. What are you doing? What you're doing is wrong. You're making a big scene here. Stop it. It's like, it's, this is a consistent thing about first with the children, children can't come to Jesus, the people preaching about Jesus, nope, don't do that. I mean, you got all these things, you got all these people that saying, don't come to Jesus, and it's the ones that are concerned about Jesus saying, don't come to Jesus. It makes me angry. And so here's these, these disciples in this great crowd, they're telling them, don't come to Jesus. Don't call out to him. Now, I love what Jesus does here. I love it. It's interesting, I don't know if you picked up on this, it says, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops, and he says, call him. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the ones who were rebuking the beggar. And he says, hey, I want you to go call him over here. He says, bring him over here. So, I mean, you just imagine this scene. Uh, you can just imagine the scene. You know, this guy's, you know, just saying, well, Bartimaeus, I don't want you to talk anymore about this. You, you, just, you be quiet here. You're causing the scene. What's that? So as I was saying, um, why don't you come with me? And, uh, you know, I was kind of going about that in a little awkward way, I understand, but this is what I was trying to get you to understand. You need to come with me. I mean, that was pretty awkward, right? Pretty awkward moment. I think what Jesus is doing there, he made the adversary become the advocate. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that with your problems. Only Jesus can take whatever is opposing you in your spiritual walk and actually turn it into something that's going to propel you in your spiritual walk. Only Jesus can do this. And the problem was is that they didn't see Bartimaeus the way they should see him. They didn't see that he was someone who needed Jesus. They didn't see that about him. They saw a, someone who they were irritated with. They saw someone who was annoying them. They saw someone who was different than them. And they said, I don't want anything to do with you. In fact, you, you're kind of hindering my relationship with Jesus here, so you just be quiet over there. Is that no sight of other people like we're supposed to have. And so Jesus, he had just told them, he just told them to be servants of all. You remember, we talked about that last week. How's that working out for you, disciples? Be servants of all. The next thing you do, you tell a blind guy you can't come and see Jesus. But the question that is, is who are we ignoring? Or who irritates us as we walk with Jesus? These could be the very people that Jesus wants us to interact with. So who do you find hard to love? Max Lucado, he wrote about this in one of his books. He wrote about a man named Daniel who was cheated out of some money by his own brother. And, the, and Daniel vowed that he, if he ever saw his brother again, he would get his revenge. A few months later, Daniel accepts Christ, becomes a Christian. But even after that, he still could not forgive his brother. And so one day, he runs into his brother on a busy street. And this is how Daniel described what happened. He says, I saw him, but he didn't see me. I felt my fist clench and my face get hot. My initial impulse was to grab him around the throat and choke the life out of him. But as I looked into his face, my anger began to melt. For as I saw him, I saw the image of my father. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's look. I saw my father's expression. As I looked at my father in his face, my enemy once again became my brother. 
Did you catch that? When I saw the image of my father in his face, my enemy became my brother. Every person is made in the image of God. The gift of sight says that when we see someone else, we don't see just how annoying they are or how different they are. We see the image of God. And we see the Father in them. And that should melt away the anger and the irritation and cause us to love. So the gift of sight, you and I need the gift of sight today. But we also need what I said was the gift of blindness. And I just have two uh, ways that, to describe that before we close. First of all, is that we need to be blind to the approval of others. You know, Bartimaeus teaches us this so well because Bartimaeus was a beggar, right? And, and he needed people to like him. He needed people to be, to at least feel sorry for him. They, he needed people to at least have pity on him. If he was going to get anything for his life and to sustain his life, he needed people to at least have some type of favorable look towards him. Ticking people off and irritating people was not going to make him get any more coins on his cloak that he had spread out to, while he was begging. And so this was a great act of uh, when, when he just continuing to cry out, regardless of the people who were telling him to be quiet, this was an idea of him saying, I don't care about the approval of anyone else. I only need Jesus here. I only want Jesus and his attention right now. It doesn't matter about anyone else in this moment. This was him being blind towards the approval of others. And he was so persistent in this. This wasn't just one person. It wasn't like just one person stopped by Bartimaeus and said, you know, it'd be really helpful if you just toned it down a little bit here. No, it says that they all, they were all yelling at him. They were all telling him to be quiet. There was, there was a lot of people. It took a tremendous amount of courage for Bartimaeus to continue screaming out to Jesus, saying, have mercy upon me, upon me son of David. And so why was he so persistent? How could he be so persistent in the hostile environment? How could it be that he could still be calling out to Jesus and desiring Jesus' mercy when everyone was telling him to be quiet? How is it that that was possible? Well, it was possible because I believe he understood that this was probably his only chance. It was his only chance at Jesus. He didn't know that he was ever going to have this chance, and man, it was here. He was going to take advantage of it. He was not going to let this chance go by. And so here's the point, is that understanding urgency takes away or removes inhibitions. So when we understand the urgency of the moment or the situation, whatever inhibitions we may have that will prevent us in those situations are removed, the more we understand the urgency of it. And that's what this man, this Bartimaeus, he understood. He said, this is my hope. I, you know, I was thinking about this, and, you know, my dad, he, uh, he was always a pretty, you know, when I was around, uh, when he was younger, I, I've heard stories that are contrary to this, but when I was younger, uh, he was a good driver, cautious driver. Um, I don't remember him speeding a whole lot or anything like that. And that changed one day. One day, because uh, my dad never wanted to get a ticket and things like that, go through all the hassle and the pain, the money, all that. But one day, there was an event in my life where my dad put me into the car and 
went tearing down the road. I mean, flying down the road as fast as he could get that vehicle going. At one point, driving down the, a one-way street the wrong direction. Okay? What had happened? I had been severely attacked by a dog. I was probably Isaiah's age, maybe a little bit younger. And a dog turned on me and locked its jaws, locked my, my head in its jaws, and started tearing me around a little bit. And uh, the dog eventually let go, and uh, I'm bleeding. And, you know, some of you are like, ah, pieces are falling together now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, I, I, my dad, because he loved his son, the urgency of the moment caused him to disregard speed limit signs and direction signs. Now again, I'm not saying that was always the wisest thing, okay? But I understand it as a dad. You see, the urgency of the moment, when he understood this, he didn't know if this was a situation of life and death. He didn't know what was going on. And he wasn't going to take any chances. And so he threw caution to the winds and he wanted to protect his boy. You know, that's what Bartimaeus, he just understood the urgency of this moment. But there's a lot of different ways we can apply this. Why don't we have spiritual conversations with people? Well, there's no urgency. Why don't we radically deal with sin in our lives like Jesus clearly commands us to? There's no urgency. You see, the call to repentance all throughout the scriptures is always in the present tense. He says, you call out to today is the day of salvation. He says, you know, you know, right now, while it is called today, repent of your sins. And so it's always there. The reason why is because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed an opportunity to go back and fix our mistakes or fix our sins later on. We're not guaranteed, so don't bank on that. And Bartimaeus understood he may not have another chance at this. He may not have another opportunity to seek God's mercy, seek Jesus' mercy. And so he was going to take it. And so there's a lot of ways we can apply this. First of all, we can apply it in the sense that we see people all the time that they are not guaranteed another day. And so we need to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. There needs to be an urgency about us in doing that because we have no idea what their future holds. But then there's also, as I mentioned before, how we deal with the sin in our own lives. There needs to be an urgency to repent of that sin. Because we're not guaranteed that that Spirit of God will always convict us. In fact, we know that the Scriptures say that it can be to the point where our hearts are so hardened against God and His Spirit's convicting power that we then in turn just walk away. And so don't, if you're wrestling with sin right now, and I can think of several examples of people that, that I've talked with recently, not, not just one, many people who are wrestling with things, and my, my prayer is just repent. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I say this to my own soul too. As I struggle with sin, and I just ask God, please help me not grow hard into this. Please, I don't know how many chances of God's mercy I may have. Bartimaeus says, I am going to take what I have. I'm going to take this one example, this one opportunity. There was a sense of urgency there. 
so blind to this idea of the approval of others. But secondly, and I need to move on, secondly, blind to the values of this world. Did you notice what he did here? He, when he's called, he says, get up. It says he threw off his cloak and sprang up and followed Jesus. Now, Mark includes these details for a reason. The fact that there was a cloak that he threw off, that's included in there on purpose. And, And I believe one of the reasons is because, one, as a beggar, your coat would be your most precious possession, right? And so he threw that off. I think there's great symbolism there. But also, it was most likely spread out in front of them and even on his lap a little bit of where the coins would be placed when people would give to him. And so when he throws his coat off, what's happening to all those coins? They're just scattering. They're just going. What once was his most sought-after possession now is just cast aside because he wants to follow Jesus. What once was what he clung to for security and warmth was now cast aside because he wanted to follow Jesus and obey Jesus. And so this idea of blind to the values of this world. He was leaving what little he had. And so the the application here is obvious. What needs to be cast aside in your life? He says, now notice what he says there. It says, Jesus said to him, go your way. Did you see that in verse 52? Go your way. And then it says, and he followed him on the way. It's beautiful. This is discipleship. He says, go your way. He could have gotten up and left. He could have gone to see his family, gone to see his friends. He says, my way is now your way. And he followed Jesus. You see, he was blind towards the values of this world. He was blind towards all these things. And where was Jesus going? He was going to Jerusalem. And what was going to happen there? He was going to be mocked, and he was going to be spit upon, and he was going to be killed, we just read about last week, or a week before. And that's where Bartimaeus followed him. How is that possible? Because everything else didn't seem to matter anymore. He knew Jesus. The Messiah had just restored his sight. He says, your way is my way. He wasn't tempted by the coins any longer. He didn't need the coins. He didn't need the cloak. He just needed Jesus. There's an old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. It says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we need. We need to be blind towards the values of this world and have the sight of Jesus Christ. And it's not about Bartimaeus' faith necessarily here of like, oh, he was so faithful that God had to heal him. No, this is an example for us of someone who understood his sin, understood his Savior, and followed Jesus. This, my friend, is the gospel that we all need. That Jesus is calling us to repent and to follow him. I said in the beginning that we need the transforming gifts of sight and blindness. I'm amazed at stories of people who regain sight later on in life, maybe completely, or even the glasses they put on to see colors. I'm also humbled by the wisdom shared by people who perceive the world through blind eyes. Both gifts of sight and blindness are needed in our spiritual lives. The blind 
physically often have insights that eyes cannot give, and the seen often have details that the blind cannot imagine. In the natural world, this is an either-or possibility or situation, but in the spiritual world, Jesus gives us the benefits and blessings of both sight and blindness if we follow him. So we should learn from our brother Bartimaeus this morning. Let me give you some homework to think about, and then we'll pray. Consider how you could imitate Bartimaeus' persistence. Ask God to help you see him, yourself, and others through his eyes. Think about and then cast aside something that is spiritually distracting to you. So you're going to have to really meditate on it. You're going to have to chew on these a little bit. You're going to have to think about these throughout the week. If, if, you, can, if you can kind of answer all, well, um, you know, one in three, if you can answer that in five minutes, you haven't thought about it long enough, okay? So just, 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 just kind of meditate on this. You know, small groups, you might want to talk about some of these things, uh, but just, just think about this. Meditate on it uh, throughout the week. We have so much to learn from Bartimaeus' story. The gifts of sight and blindness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we that we would um, uh, that we would see you for who you are and we'd see our souls for what they are and that is sinful but yet redeemed if we're believing in you. There's a fine line here, God. There's a fine line between um, reality and then um, being crushed by reality. And so I just pray that your spirit would help us to navigate that Father, I pray that we would have the benefits of blindness and sight, spiritually speaking, so that we may follow you, love you, point people to you, live for you, not because we're trying to earn our way into heaven. It's because you deserve that. And Father, if there's anyone here today where you're pressing on their heart about repentance, maybe for the first time, of repenting, turning from their sins, and trusting you as their Savior. Father, I pray that they would pray even right now in their seat to ask you to save them from their sins and maybe ask someone else around here that maybe you could help them with that. Or Father, if you're, you're pressing on someone's heart about just repenting of sin that is being held on to, Father, I pray, God, I pray that uh, you would give them the courage and the ability to forsake that and follow you. And Father, every one of us really falls into that category. There's no one here without sin. And so Father, I pray that we all would be very sensitive to what your Spirit is doing in our hearts. Because you're worth it. Help us to believe that. Help us to see Christ in a new way today. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen.